Hey, good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Happy This Is Us Sunday. Uh, I'm most excited about that as well. So, hey, listen, if you're here today and you, uh, you would describe yourself as someone who isn't a Christian, someone who is a, a skeptic or a doubter, man, thanks for being with us. No question that you have is off limits. We, don't, we, we may not know all the answers to the questions, but we're committed to walking that out with you. And if you would say, man, I just feel far from God today, and you've kind of dragged yourself in today, and you were struggling to sing some of those songs that we were singing because it just felt like words on a screen to you, man, I'm glad that you're here too. Uh, I think today's gonna be helpful for you. So thanks for being with us. My name is Andrew, and I'm, I'm excited to open up the word with you. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for us, and then we're gonna jump in. So Jesus, in this moment, would you, would you meet us wherever we might be? And we just acknowledge that not all of us feel close to you today. Not all of us have hearts that are moved with uh, love for you or feel your love towards us. God, some of us came in with sin and with baggage and just the, the difficulties and pains of this last week. And I pray that your grace and your mercy would meet them where they are. And some people today, they're, they're not, they, don't, they don't love you and they don't walk with you and they don't follow you. And I'm praying that today you would, you would pull them close. And some of us, God, we just wanna know how to, how to, how to follow you better. We wanna know what it looks like to really be faithful to you. So would you work and would you move in a really powerful way. Holy Spirit, we need your presence. Everything that needs to happen today is beyond my ability to do. I cannot, I cannot preach a good enough sermon to get the truth of what we're talking about today into the hearts of these people. So I just lay my need and my weakness before you and ask that you would move in strength, move in power. Pray these things for your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. So C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, writers of all time, uh, he once described the difference between a woman who, has, uh, who is stepping into a romantic relationship for the very first time and a woman who uh, maybe has been in a really painful, difficult, hard marriage, eventually divorced. He talked about the differences between those two women and, and what he said was really fascinating and we know it to be true. Uh, if you're stepping into a romantic relationship for the first time, um, you're kind of gullible and you're, you're far too easily pleased. And here's what I mean. Like, uh, if you're a guy and you bring flowers, something happens and it's like, wow, I really feel the love right now just by you bringing flowers. And, and you're kind of like instantly, you're a good guy, I'm in. I'm in with this. Um, or maybe you get a text message. I remember when I was dating, uh, who is now my wife, I was, we were dating, just started dating, and every time her, her name would pop up on my Nokia phone, uh, I, I remember like getting, getting butterflies in my stomach. Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, maybe you're like not married, but do you remember in junior high when someone would pass you the note, like check yes or no, and just something would happen, and you're like, man, I am the greatest person alive right now, and, and it's just... That person doesn't have to do much and you're very convinced of their love, very kind of easily in, yep, totally experiencing the affection that you're trying to give me. That's someone just stepping into a romantic relationship for the first time. But then there's this other side of it and this is maybe a person, maybe a woman who has been badly hurt by her husband in a marriage, repeatedly, uh, consistently hurt and then eventually divorced. And when she gets back in the dating scene and she's back out kind of uh, looking at her options, the guy might bring her flowers and she's like, flowers, okay buddy, I've seen flowers before, let's see how you treat me in five years, right? Or maybe it's a text message, hey I miss you, I was thinking about you, little heart, you know, things on the phone. And, and for whatever reason you're like, 
Yeah, okay, we'll see about that. If you want to impress me, it's going to take more than a text message, more than flowers, because I've been hurt. I've seen some surface-level love, and if you really want to love me, if you really want me to receive that affection, it's going to be a little bit more intentional and a little bit more difficult than just surface-level stuff. That's the difference between someone just stepping into a romantic relationship for the first time and someone that has been maybe badly hurt by a marriage in the past. The way I want to describe Oklahoma and our relationship to Christianity and specifically our relationship to the love of God is we are kind of like that woman who has been badly hurt in a marriage. Here's what I mean. If a pastor stands up and he says, hey, I've got some great news for you. God loves you. Most of the way that we receive that is like, yeah, okay, buddy, we've heard God loves you before. If you want to impress us and if you want us to actually experience the love of God, you're going to have to do a little better than that. Oklahoma has a really weird relationship with the love of God. And actually, in my interactions with non-Christians, I can't think of one single thing that's been more prominent over the last 11 years of ministry, one thing that's been a bi- uh, the biggest barrier that has come up consistently time and time again with people not engaging with Christianity is their perception of the love of God. It's really interesting, our relationship with the love of God in Oklahoma. If I took a poll just this morning and I said, hey, how many of you believe that God loves you? Most of you would instinctively just say, yes, I do. I believe that God loves me, right? Most people probably in our city would just instinctively say, yeah, I believe that God loves me. Now, some of you don't. Obviously, some of you are just checking things out and you're interested in Christianity. But most people in this room and most people in our city would just instinctively check the box, yes, God loves me. But if I could somehow inject you with a truth serum where you could not lie and you're brutally honest, right? Like Jim Carrey and Liar Liar. You're just brutally honest and you told the whole truth and you didn't hold anything back. Most of you, I think this is true, most of you would say, I have serious doubts about the love of God for me. I think he loves me some days, but there are things that I do and there are sins that I run to and there's stuff in my past and there's addiction in the present that I just don't know if all the love that God has for humanity can truly be tasted and experienced by me. I think if some of you could just be brutally honest, you would say that this morning. Maybe not all of you, but some of you this morning, you would say, I came in today, we sang the songs, I don't feel any of that. That's a million miles away from where I'm at today. If you really knew what was beneath the surface, if you really knew what was down inside of my soul, if you could peer into me, you would realize there's probably not a chance that God could love a person like me. He might learn to like me over time. He might learn to put up with me over time. He might let me just kind of be a slave in his house, but there's no way that I'm gonna have his real affection, you know, the type of affection that he probably has for people that keep the rules and do a good job and and behave. So that's what we're talking about today, the love of God. How deep is it? How wide is it? Can you do anything to lessen or decrease God's affection for you? Have you done something that maybe, just maybe is so big that God could forgive you, but it'll it'll never be the same? It'll never be the same between you and him because you've damaged the relationship so bad. Is that possible? Today we're talking about the love of God. And to answer these questions, what I want to do is take you to a beautiful passage of scripture. It's actually a passage that an old pastor, a guy by the name of James Montgomery Boyce, he called this the most beautiful chapter in the Bible. Hosea chapter three. So if you have a Bible, find Hosea. It's between Daniel and Joel. 
which literally helps no one in this room. So there you go. Daniel, it's somewhere in the Old Testament, <clears throat> table of contents, and find Hosea 3. And just listen to this profound passage about the love of God. Here's what it says in chapter three, verse one. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer. That's like not a Homer Simpson, by the way. Uh, that's like a, a measurement. Homer and a lethic of barley. That's a measurement of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So here's what's happening in this passage. If you're just joining us, this is a story about a man in the 8th century named Hosea, 8th century B.C., who is a prophet. A prophet represents God to people and speaks on behalf of God to the people of God. And God shows up to this man named Hosea and he says, I want you to love not just Mary, I want you to love an unfaithful woman named Gomer. So Hosea does, he actually falls in love with, not just kind of this legal contractual marriage, he falls in love with a prostitute named Gomer and his heart burns for her and his affections are stirred for her and he wants her as his bride and they get married and they end up having two kids. But Gomer has this history of unfaithfulness as we know throughout the book. She's repeatedly leaving her husband to chase after other lovers. She does not believe that Hosea in and of himself has what she needs for basic necessities of life or for the deeper desires that she has in her soul. And so what happens is Gomer repeatedly will leave and chase after other lovers, and Hosea is just brokenhearted. From a wounded heart, he pursues his bride over and over and over again and brings her back home and wants to love her. Well, that's what's been happening, but actually what starts to happen, and we learn about this in chapter two, is they have two kids together, but then she leaves again. And this time she runs after other lovers in such a broken way that she gets pregnant by another man. She comes back, she's devastated, she's broken, she comes back, Hosea receives her and he begins to love this child, this third baby, and he raises this child as his own. And you would think by now, you would think by all of this, after his faithfulness and his pursuit, that Gomer would just be heartbroken over her sin and over her unfaithfulness. And you would think that she would start to have a change of way of living, that finally she'll be faithful to Hosea, but that's not what happens. Chapter three is the story of after this third baby is born and after Hosea is just lavishing Gomer with love, she leaves again. But this time, she leaves Hosea all alone with three kids and she gets so busted up and so broken in her pursuit of other lovers that look at what happens. Um, basically, Hosea, he's done at this point. He's like, you know what, you, you've walked out on me enough. That's the last time. I'm not going back for you. I'm not gonna keep chasing you. My heart no longer feels affection the way it did before. I'm done with you. And then God, he shows up and he speaks again to Hosea and he says this. He says, go again and love this woman. Go again 
And something happens when God says that to Hosea. His heart is once again stirred and he actually feels love again for, for her in his heart and he pursues her and he tracks her down. Now, I want you to paint this story in your head because there's something that you might have missed over as we read this. So look at verse two. It says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. What's happening there? So I bought her. Well, a guy named Derek Kidner, he says, in the single word bought, we learn how far she had fallen, how tightly she was held, and what was the first step Hosea must take to fulfill the command of love to her. Uh, We don't catch this when we first read the story, but what had happened with Gomer is that she had basically become bankrupt, and she had no money, she had no ability to survive, so what she did is she sold herself into slave prostitution. So imagine, this is not just her running after other lovers. This is not just her being kind of a plaything for other men. Now what's happening is she has sold herself into slave prostitution. And what would happen in this culture is that men would stand in the marketplaces and there'd be these slave prostitutes and they would bid in an auction. They would bid on these women and whoever had the highest bid would take home this slave prostitute and do whatever he wanted to do with her. When Hosea shows up on the scene, what he finds is his wife, his bride, the one that his heart has been broken for, his his heart has been moved with compassion for, and she's standing there being auctioned off to other men as a slave prostitute. And this phrase, it rings in your ears, so I bought her. Can you just paint the picture in your head? You're in the marketplace, and there she is. And by the way, she would have been stripped naked so that the whole, the whole group of guys there could kind of see what the merchandise looked like. And, th- and then the bids start. Five shekels, 10 shekels, 15 shekels. And then all of a sudden, she hears the voice of a familiar voice that she knows. It's her husband, Hosea, from the crowd. 15 shekels, and then he throws in another 15 shekels worth of barley. He pays 30 shekels, which was the price of a slave, to pay off her debt and buy her as his own. What love is that? And here's the thing, instead of just grabbing her and, 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 and wringing her by the throat and be like, well, how could you do this to me? You've, you've been so unfaithful. What he does is this, he speaks tenderly to her in verse three, look at this. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. I love this. What Hosea is saying is, I, I, I don't just want you back in the house. I just don't want you back as a roommate. You're my wife. You're my bride. I want you to be with me, and I want to be with you. Don't be with anybody else. This is relentless pursuing affectionate love when she was at her worst, when she was at her most vulnerable, enslaved and naked. That's when he found her and that's when he loved her. Now, on the surface, this is just a story about Hosea and Gomer, real people. But as you drill down, what you realize, and the text hints at this at the last verse in verse five, what you drill, when you drill down, what you realize is that this is actually telling us a far bigger story. It's not the story of Hosea and Gomer. This is the story of God and you. This is the story of God and how he feels about his people. So if you're reading this story and you're trying to figure out which character am I in this story, 
Maybe you think, well, I'm, I've got to be Hosea. Like, the way I treat people in my life, you know, they can sin against me and hurt me, but I am so faithful, and I love them, and I'm, I'm just kind of relentless, and you can't ever sin against me, and I'll, I'll, it doesn't matter. I'll forgive you every time, and I'll go back, and I'll, I'll be, no, 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 no. If that's how you read the story, you've read the story all wrong. You see, in this story, the character that we are is not the faithful Hosea. The, the character that we are is the unfaithful Gomer. In fact, this is kind of an allegory or a, a smaller picture of what the Bible's gonna tell us from start to finish, that our relationship with God is identical to Gomer's relationship with Hosea. And the way that she has responded and treated him is the way that we have responded and treated God. So two things I want you to see real fast. The first is that this is actually a story about the nature of our sin. This is a story about the nature of our sin. The, the biblical a- assessment of you and your relationship with God and how you are is not of this faithful person that always does the right thing and keeps the rules. The, the way that the Bible talks about us as humanity is that we are unfaithful people who have traded God for a million other things. And we have this infinite abyss in our soul that we long for satisfaction for and we're shoving all this stuff inside of it, trying to get satisfaction, trying to get pleasure, trying to get meaning, and we are willing to reject God time and time and time again and pursue other things to get what we are craving and it just doesn't work. Now maybe that's not how you think of yourself. Maybe you think of yourself as this moral person who generally does the right thing and keeps the rules and and you're a faithful person and you really do love God But I just want to say, like, the Bible is not ever going to frame you that way, ever. We are from birth people that are craving sin and brokenness and and things that are outside of God. And if you don't believe this, just have babies, and you will see this to be true, right? I did not have to teach my little kids how to lie. I did not have to teach them how to do the wrong thing. In fact, uh, years ago when my oldest was was young. She, I, don't, I don't know where she got this, but I think her grandma like took something from her that she didn't need to be playing with, and my oldest bit her on the cheek. And I just want to point out, like, that is not behavior that she has witnessed in the house. This is not something that, like, if Hillary does the wrong thing, rah, I'm going to get you. You better watch out. This was not something that she saw happen. She just in her heart thought, oh, you're, you're going to take something from me? I'll straight up eat your flesh. That's what I'm going to do to you right now. And then you just see like their little sinful, broken, pure, evil hearts, right? They're cute, but man, they're wicked. And they just do the wrong, right? And, 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 and then what happens is we get older and we just get really good at hiding that. But we're the same people. And maybe you don't feel like this is true of you, but what's happening is, is this is a story about our sin. What's happening is, oh God, we don't think that you have what we need, and so we're gonna reject you because we actually think career is gonna bring me what I want. And power will satisfy. And sexual pleasure, that's the thing that we want. So forget you. Money, popularity, that's what we want. And so we'll do whatever we have to do to get the thing that we are after and we've rejected God to do it. This is what you have done. This is what I have done. This is what our culture has done. And can I just ask the very simple question, has this worked? We've rejected God. We've ran after other things. Has that brought us what our heart has been really after. Do you ever sin or give in to the flesh or do something that you know is wrong just because you have the urge? Do you ever do that and then by the end of it go, man, that really satisfied me. I feel whole. 
and I feel alive. No, never. In fact, what's happening culturally is the more we reject God and the more we pursue sin, rather than that bringing more happiness and beauty and meaning and joy into our life, it's actually bringing more chaos and more brokenness and more depression and more things that are going wrong. Let me just give you some stats here. Major depressive disorder affects approximately 14.8 million American adults. Now I get there's a lot of reasons for depression. Some are good, or some some are sinful, some are not. Some are like totally outside of your ability to control and it's just uh, stuff that's happening in your body. But listen to this, this is what's interesting. Not that there are 14.8 million American adults that have major depressive disorder, but there's an annual increase of about 20%. 20% every year. So what's happening is culturally we're saying, God, we don't need you, we don't want you, and you actually don't have the right to say what is good for me and what is right for me. I will do that for me. I will pursue what I want to pursue. So get you out of the picture, and we go do that, and every year, rather than us getting more happy, we're getting more depressed as a culture. Here's another one. This is really, this is hard. Studies show that from 1999 to 2010, the suicide rate among Americans aged 35 to 64 increased by nearly 30%. We have more money, we have more options, we have Amazon, we have all this stuff, 30% higher suicides between 1999 and 2010. And this, by the way, is not just affecting adults, this is dramatically having an impact on teenagers. As we have culturally pushed God out of the picture and pursued the life that we've wanted apart from him and we've done what Gomer did and just sought after other lovers, as as we've done that, listen to this, suicide is now the third leading cause of death among teenagers. The third leading cause of death. So in all of our efforts to find satisfaction and fulfillment and pleasure and meaning and beauty outside of God, I just want to say as clearly as I know how, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. And where Gomer ended up is where a lot of us have ended up. We didn't find beauty or pleasure. What we found was enslavement. What we found was being exposed We found that we were filled with shame and guilt and just like, just get inside of her skin for just a minute. Here she is in the marketplace, completely nude, standing in front of a bunch of men that are bidding on her. She's closing her eyes. She just feels shame and guilt and brokenness. She feels just dirty and gross. That's where her sin has brought her. And the million dollar question is, could people like that, people like us, could we be loved by God? The first thing this story tells us, it's a story about the nature of our sin, but here's the second thing I want you to see. This is not just a story about our sin. This is ultimately a story about God's love for us. This is a story about the nature of the love of God. You see, when you read the story, what you need to realize is that Hosea is a picture of someone much better because though Hosea was incredible and though he loved Gomer with everything in her, he was still a broken, flawed man and he still had times where he just didn't want anything to do with her, but he is pointing a picture. He is pointing us to a greater reality of another better Hosea. His name is Jesus. 
And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus does not come to us when we are at our best. He doesn't come to us when we are at our most faithful, when we have everything together. What Jesus does is he comes to us and he searches after us and he finds us when we are at our worst like Gomer. He finds us when we're covered in shame and guilt. He finds us when we're exposed. He finds us when we're at rock bottom and that's when he decides to have mercy. That's when he decides to love. Here's the bizarre thing about what Jesus does for us. Hosea pays 30 pieces of silver to buy back his bride. Do you know what Jesus does to buy back his bride? He doesn't pay 30 pieces of silver. He pays his own lifeblood. He lays his life down on a cross so that people like us could have our debts paid. And Jesus, instead of just clothing us of our nakedness, what he does is he actually, Jesus was stripped naked and hung on a cross and he was the one that was shamed and he was the one that was exposed so that our sin and our shame could be covered by his love and by his forgiveness. The way that Jesus loves us is the better Hosea. He finds us when we are at our worst and he gives his own life so that we could have our debts paid and be brought back. And here's the big idea. Jesus does not just want us back in the house. He doesn't just want us back uh, in close proximity. He says what he says to her. He says, listen, stay with me. I want to be with you and you with me and stop having other loves. The love of God, it is relentless. Every time you turn away from God, God is turning towards you every time. Look again at verse one. I want you to note the againness of the love of God. It says, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Why? Well, this is a picture. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Cakes of raisins was like a pagan uh, dessert that you would, you would eat that and sacrifice to the other gods. And, and God is saying, you have rejected me and you've turned, but every time you turn to another god, I turn with love to you. Some of you Christians need to hear this very clearly today. Have you ever had this experience where maybe you're in church or maybe you hear a sermon or maybe you hear a song or maybe it's while we're here together confessing our sin or whatever, but you have this moment where you are overcome, you're overwhelmed by your own sin, by your own brokenness, but simultaneously you're overwhelmed by the mercy and love of God. And you start to make promises to God. God, I will never do this. I, I'll stop sinning in these ways. I'll be better, I promise. Like, I, I love you and I wanna love you better. I promise I won't do that. And for some reason, you just in your heart feel so overwhelmed by the love of God and you're committing yourself to him. That's Sunday. And then Monday morning, you wake up and your heart is hard. And then Tuesday afternoon, you begin to experience some temptation. And then Wednesday night, you're just completely rejecting God altogether, forgetting about him and running after the things that on Sunday you were like, I won't ever do that. Has anyone ever had this experience? Okay, good. I was like, I might be the only one in the room that has had that experience. We are Gomer. And here's the lie that we believe. 
We believe that every time we turn to those sins, every time we walk away, that God gets a little less loving towards us. His, his love decreases slightly, even if it's just percentages. And then eventually, there's not a lot of love left for us. And then eventually, it's like God can't even stand us. And then eventually, it's like, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm just gonna give up altogether. Some of you, you walked in the room, and that is your understanding of God. I've done too much. He would forgive me if I've sinned just a little bit and got my life on track, but I haven't, and I'm addicted, and I'm broken and there's all these and he just he won't have anything to do with me you need to hear about the againness of the love of God God told Hosea to go again just to paint a picture of how he loves you every time you walk away he moves with affection towards you listen to these words and I I pray the Holy Spirit will just ignite your heart to receive this truth Romans 8 31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? You, the enemy, your own soul. Who can condemn you? Listen, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now listen to this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? We could add to this list my own sin, my shame, my wandering, my faithlessness, all the ways that I've broken God's law. No, and all these things, we, the people in this room, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have done nothing to lessen the love of God for you. You can't do anything to lessen the love of God for you. You cannot do anything to increase the affection that God has for you. You can't. You just can't. I don't have words. There's not enough scripture. There's not a, I, I, I couldn't say it enough. There's nothing you have ever done for him to check you off the box and say, you know, I'm just done. I'm done with you. Hasn't happened. Has not happened. If you are here and you feel broken and you feel busted and you feel beyond reach, that is the only thing that makes you eligible to be rescued by such a great lover like Jesus. That is it. Now this is not cheap grace or cheap love. This is profound love. And it's not just relentless love. It's, have you noticed, it's ruthless love because Jesus won't let you go. He won't be content for you to chase other lovers. He won't be okay with just having this weird relationship where you're a slave in the house. He, he won't be okay with that. And what he says to you is this. Look at this. You must dwell as mine for many days. Don't play the whore anymore. Don't belong to other lovers. So will I also be to you 
For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without a fod or household gods. I, I, I love this and it's terrifying. This is the ruthless love of God for us. That he is so willing to rip anything out of our lives that he has to, to just get us back in a loving relationship with him. It's so relentless but it's also ruthless. It's purging and he strips us and he pulls things out of our life and all the things that we go to, it's like, no, no, I love you and I'm not content. I I want you back in this intimate relationship. This is why I came. This is why I died. So let me say this. One of the ways that I know that we in Oklahoma have a broken relationship with the love of God is that you can say the things that were just said and one of the ways you know that like, I don't think we get this, is because if you truly got this, you would be jumping up and down on your chair going ballistic. You really would. But the reason we're not like moved by this the way that we think we should be is because there's just this barrier, isn't there? That's amazing truth, Andrew. Thank you for that. I've seen the flowers before. Let's see what happens in five years. And there's something about you that believes that you're an exception. God might feel this way about other people, but he couldn't feel this way about me. And I think I've decreased his affections towards me. He might still love me in a general way because he's God and he has to, but not the way you're talking about. And there's something in you that you're more enamored, you're more amazed at your own sin than you are the relentless, ruthless love of Jesus for you. So here's what I want to do. I want to give us some space as a, group of people to not just blow past this. Isn't it really easy to play church? I've been in church my whole life and I've mastered the game. I know how to play it really well. And what happens is we show up and we've got real baggage and real shame and real sin, but we just kind of check that at the door and then we walk in and we produce our false selves and let everybody know like, yeah, I really am this other person. And then what, what happens is we miss out on the love of God because God doesn't love a false version of you. He loves the real you. He loves the you with all the baggage and all the brokenness and all the shame. And so instead of just blowing past this moment and playing church, here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you to stand up with me for just a second. What we're going to do is we're going to carve out some space for this to move from a theological reality somewhere up here in a floaty existence to dropping down into our heart where we actually get to experience the love of God. So I'm gonna ask you to do some bold stuff. Will you just take a minute and where you are, would you just close your eyes? And this is just an attempt of you being able to do an internal assessment of your heart right now. Maybe an internal dialogue with yourself. How am I? Where am I? What am I sensing? What am I feeling right now? And instead of just rushing to the table, where we receive the bread and the broken, the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus, before we run to the table, what I want to do is I want to just give you some space to, to ask your heart, to ask yourself some really honest questions. So here's the first one, with you just closing your eyes, with you thinking about your own life, thinking about your own soul. If you're here today and you are struggling maybe in a deep way, maybe in a, in, a, in a smaller way, but you're struggling to actually receive and experience the love of God for you. Perhaps it's some past area of sin that you feel like it was so big and so bad 
God could not ever look past it. Or maybe it's a present addiction. Or maybe it's the ways that you keep running and returning to sin. But if you're here and you you would say, just very honestly, as best as you know how to be honest, I'm struggling to actually receive and experience the love of God for me today. Would you just identify yourself by raising your hand so that I can pray for you? I know it as a theological reality. I see it in the scriptures. But man, it's been a long time since I've experienced his affection for me. And thank you for raising your hand. Next category of people. If you are here, and this is gonna take probably even more boldness. If you are here and you would boldly say, yeah, you know, Gomer's pattern of life her constant returning to other lovers again and again and again. When I read that story, Andrew, I come face to face with the pattern in my own life. I return to sin again and again and again. Maybe it's a particular addiction or maybe it's an area of sin or whatever, but you just go back over and over and you have those days where it's like, yes, God, I'll never do this again. I promise I'll be better. And then by Wednesday, all of that's out the window. And Gomer, it doesn't just feel like an old story to you. It feels like your story. And you're convicted today. You're, you're convicted because you're in a place of just running. And maybe it's, maybe it's a part of your heart that you're holding back from God. God, I'll give you 90% of it. But this 10%, I'm, I'm keeping this sin. I'm not gonna give it to you. I'm not gonna acknowledge it. I'm not gonna talk about it. If you're here today and you would boldly say that Gomer's pattern of life is the pattern of life that you've been experiencing But today, you want that to change by the grace of God. Would you boldly identify yourself by just raising your hand? Damn, thank you. Last category of people. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've been in church your whole life or maybe you've not been to church ever. This is your first time and you're hearing us talk about the love of God, you're hearing all this stuff about his relentless pursuit of you, and you kind of look inside and you think, you know, Andrew, I don't know if I've ever experienced the love of God. I don't think I've ever experienced that. I, I don't think I've ever experienced the joy of having my sins forgiven and knowing his affection for me. You'd say, I've never experienced the love of God, but today I want to. I really want to experience the love of God Would you just raise your hand so that I can see you and pray for you? Man, thank you so much. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. In just a minute, we're gonna all come up. Some of us are gonna come up for prayer. Some of us are gonna come up to receive the bread and the wine, the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to realize that we have carved out plenty of time, plenty of space in this moment for you to do business with Jesus. And I want you to realize that God is not a distant deity far away from you, disinterested, cold. He feels the way that I feel towards you when I look at my son who cannot do anything good for me because he's not even five months old. He can't, he can't do, he doesn't provide any sort of help in the family. He only brings baggage and chaos and lack of sleep. And every time I see him, my heart is filled with affection and love. That is the way that God is for you right now. 
and he actually wants to encounter you with his love. He wants to move it from a theological reality into the depths of your heart today. Romans 5.5 5 says he does this by the, by the Holy Spirit. It's actually the Holy Spirit of God that pours the love of the Father into our hearts. So today, what you need to do is you need to humble yourself. You need to acknowledge your need. You need to be open about your brokenness and your sin. And it's only as willing, as, as, as humbled as you want to be, that's the, that's the extent that you're going to receive the love of God today.